You're listening to The Football Show on River Radio. This is Extra Time. Good evening and welcome to River Radio. It's seven o'clock and time for the station's resident football show. Joining me tonight is our regular panel of Ben Green and Ed Tolton. I'm Will Taylor, so let's kick off tonight's action. This week we preview the clash of the Titans on Sunday as Manchester City take on Liverpool. A huge win for Reading in their relegation battle and Wickham getting their playoff hopes back on track. Also, we'll chat our offside opinions. All that and more to come on this week's Extra Time. Yes, hello and welcome to what promises to be a really great show as we tackle all the talking points from around the Thames Valley and beyond. I'm Will Taylor, your host tonight, and there's lots for us to get stuck into, but it's not just the subject matter that makes this such a special episode. It's also our debut on DAB, so it's very exciting for us. And if you're listening in the car, then congratulations, you are a part of history here on Extra Time, a really special accolade, I'm sure. Um, Right, remember, of course, that we are open to hearing your views on all of tonight night's talk as well so feel free to get in touch with your thoughts by tweeting us at river radio live or by emailing studio at river.radio right it's almost time to begin properly but before we do we should check in with our panel who will be put through their paces tonight with a whole host of hot topics they're of course ben green and ed tolton our regular contributors who come with considerable pedigree i'll start with ben he's a journalist holding a first class honors degree in sports broadcasting as well as being our chief wickham wanderers correspondent we'll get into it later ben but have you booked your hotel for wembley yet or are you sort of playing it by here (laughs) yeah evening gents uh do you know what since since Wickham, you know, came over that terrible spell of seven games without a win, uh, they've gone seven games without a defeat, and suddenly I've become the most optimistic Wickham fan in the country. Yeah, so. I was going to say we're not, we won't talk about the the chat about Ainsworth when, when <laughs> things are going badly, mate. We'll we'll leave that to that was, but uh, but no, I'm very excited times Wickham, which we'll, we'll of course get into. Our other panelist Ed, meanwhile, has worked on football coverage for a range of broadcasters, including the BBC, Sky Sports, NBC, and the Premier League, just to name a few. That is as well. He's a regular presenter at Wembley Stadium, although who sadly followed in his family's footsteps by pledging his personal support to South London side Crystal Palace. Not. So unfortunate, maybe though. After Monday night's result, Ed, it was a bit of a bit of a shocker, wasn't it? Absolutely buzzing, mate. Late, <laughs> surely a, a late shout for Europe, maybe? Yeah. No, no, I don't think so. Look, it was an emphatic result, and and we even welcomed Aki Rialati back. You're probably too young to remember who he is, but he was in the the central <laughs> midfield pairing with Michael Hughes back when we were in the Premier League in in the 0-4-5 season under Ian Dowie. Um, but look, a fantastic result for Palace, and and I think they went and, and put right what they needed to have done at the Emirates and, and obviously were pipped at the post and ended up sharing the points on that particular evening but a fantastic night for everyone who was who was there and it was great to watch uh, great to watch on the TV as well yeah four points off Arsenal all season as well certainly not a bad return is it so uh, and so, four of Manchester City yeah, I yeah. might add <laughs> the only four points I've got this season but it is what it is <laughs> so there we are those are the men who will be sharing their thoughts with us on tonight's show and it's a busy one we have in store tonight starting with the Premier League where football fans across the country are gearing up for Sunday's showdown between Manchester City 
and Liverpool. Widely billed as the game that could decide the title, the two face each other for the second time this season after contesting a two-all draw earlier in the campaign. Both were in action last night in the Champions League as well, winning their respective ties to each put one foot in the semi-finals of that competition. And earlier this week, Ed and myself caught up with fans of the two clubs to see how they saw it going. We'll start with the visitors who've closed the gap at the top of the Premier League to just a point going into the game. Ed chatted with Viva Radio MD and huge Liverpool fan Sam Setti and began by asking him how much an achievement it was for his side to be able to shout of completing an unprecedented quadruple. I think they've done amazing to deal with the AFCON Cup that was going on, losing Salah and Mane. Uh, Everyone thought that they would drop points during that period. They didn't. There's 14 games between us and a quadruple. That is all. But I say all. That's Manchester United, Everton, Tottenham, City three times and Benfica. So the chances of a quadruple, hmm, let's say very low. Well, it will certainly be very difficult. And it's crazy, isn't it, that even against that backdrop, the game in front of you against Manchester City is being billed as the biggest of your season. Isn't that the way you see it? Yeah, I mean, look, we've got to win at City. They're a point ahead of us. They can afford a draw. We can't. That gives them the advantage. The other side of it is we've only won once in the last 10 times at the Etihad, which doesn't bode well. Well, it's perhaps one of the toughest places to go in the Premier League, isn't it? And yet people say whoever wins this one will go on to win the league. Do you see it as clearly as that? Or do you think there are still potential banana skins between now and the end of the Premier League season? Oh, I think even if we beat City, there's no guarantees because psychologically, yes, it puts us in the driving seat. But... Everton aren't going to roll over in the the Merseyside derby. United will want to get back at us for that 5-0 win. Tottenham seem to be on a roll at the moment for the top four. So just those three teams alone will provide enough competition to Liverpool. And one of those potentially will be a draw or a, a slippery banana skin where we lose. And finally, I can't let you go without asking. We mentioned it, the prospect of a quadruple. It would be amazing, unprecedented. Do you think Liverpool can do it? Look, if you went to William Hill bookmakers, I'm sure the odds are a thousand to one or some crazy number, probably worth me putting a pound on. But reality says the squad is as strong as it's going to be. We've got no injuries particularly. Um, We have games every three days. Um, But the challenge is we haven't got easy games every three days. And even if we get past City in the semi-final of the FA Cup, Uh, we've still probably got Chelsea in the final. If we get past uh, Benfica in the quarterfinal, we've got Bayern Munich potentially in the semi-final, and we get past them, potentially it's City or Chelsea in the final, right? We would have to win every game between now and the end of the season. That's 14 more games. That's a winning streak of 24 games, which has never been done. 21 games is the longest winning streak, and that was done by Man City two seasons ago. So... Again, we'll be breaking every record out there, not just the quadruple record, but the winning street records, etc. Everyone will tell you it's not possible, but then I say we have Klopp. And that's the only answer I can give you. Well, we'll have to wait and see how it all pans out, but it'll certainly be fascinating watching. Sam, thanks for your thoughts. It's a pleasure.
That's Sam Setti there with Radio ND and Liverpool fan as well. And very sort of a snappy one-liner there from, wasn't it? It's not possible, but we do have Klopp, so you just never know for them. Obviously, great to get his thoughts there. I'll get it. I'll put it to you two as well, obviously, after hearing from Sam. I'll come to you first, Ed. How feasible is this idea of a quadruple? Is it a media storm because it's the first real time, probably in quite a few years, we can see it happening? Or, or is it actually something you believe could happen? I mean, I think how feasible it is and how likely it is are two quite different things. In terms of feasibility, you've got to be in it to win it and they remain in it. At the same time, the likelihood of it, as Sam says, you know, they've got to play a resurgent Tottenham in the middle of that run. And all of a sudden, Tottenham look like they're clicking. You know, everyone's buying into Antonio Conte all of a sudden. You look at that Newcastle game a couple of months ago, you concede early against Newcastle. You probably labour to a 1-1 draw or or maybe get a 2-1 win that begs as many questions as it answers. All of a sudden, no, ruthless, 5-1. That's going to be a great game. It was the best game probably of the season when they last played each other. That will be a really, really tough game. And it's that that perhaps underpins when it comes to the winning of the Premier League. My belief that if City win this game, City will win the Premier League. If Liverpool win this game... I think Liverpool have the advantage, but I could still see City going and winning it because City are ruthless when it comes to the Premier League. In terms of the quadruple, however, obviously, as I say, they're in every competition, they're in the FA Cup, and I'd certainly back them to win the Champions League over a Manchester City because I think they've gone and done that before. And Manchester City have a bit of a mental block there. Um, If they were to do it, it would be the most remarkable feat and probably one of the biggest achievements in, in football history, particularly when you're playing in the Premier League, the best league in the world. You're playing in the Champions League, the biggest club competition in the world. And, and let's be clear, the Club World Cup is, is not that competition. It's the Champions League because you have so many great teams in there. Um, how likely is it? I suspect they will fall short, but I wouldn't be surprised to see them do a double, let's say. There you go. Ben, what do you reckon? Yeah, it's going to be difficult. Obviously, the, I think the squad depth could be an issue for Liverpool. Um, if you look at their front three, let's say they play with Jota, Mane and Salah, you've then got maybe a Firmino to come on who isn't necessarily the player he was, maybe a Minamino to come on. Luis Diaz though. Luis well. Diaz does add, but you know, you compare it to City who, let's say <laughs> Grealish and Foden start, you've still got Mares, you've still got Sterling, you've Bernardo still got Bernardo Silva. Silva yeah. So I think that could be the difference maker. But look, I think Liverpool, they should at least try and aim to win one of these, you know, one of the three remaining ones. I, I I think four maybe a push. I really do. Like uh, Sam said, actually, in the piece that they've got to play some really difficult teams and they've probably got to win every single game. And that's going to be an incredible task. Well, he said, it, he said in it, didn't he, that it would be the longest winning streak of any team ever in Premier League history <laughs> if they were going to go and do it, which which in itself would be an incredible feat, let alone with, with this quadruple luminarium. I'm curious to ask you about that. Is there a risk that if they don't hone their focus in on, on perhaps the right com- the right competition, they could actually end the season? There's, there is a feasibility as well, though, isn't there, that they could only end the season with the Carabao Cup and nothing else while everyone's talking about this quadruple. But at the same time, if you if you look at any of these managers, whether it's Jurgen Klopp or Antonio Conte or, or Pep Guardiola, Thomas Tuchel, they'll all say it's always just about the next game. And, and mm. that's the way that you keep focus. I think once you start to prioritise one competition over another, and let's be totally clear, the majority of people who are doing that you know, who are in the position where they can kind of go, well, we've got a good chance of winning everything, are very few and far between. But the thing you tend to prioritise over other stuff or the thing that gets left behind is the League Cup. Well, they've already won that. Yeah, very um, true, yeah. So, you know, now, as you say, 14 games isn't that many games left. And yet at the same time, what will ratchet up is the pressure, is the media storm and the circus surrounding it. Let's not forget, Manchester City could still win a treble. And no one's done that since Manchester United in 1999. So I think Liverpool are getting all the kudos at the moment, but largely because everybody is 
so surprised that they've managed to close this Premier League gap, which even if they don't go on to win the league, has been a tremendous effort on their part. But um, yeah, I mean, I think they'll just be looking at it one game after the next, after the next. And you'll back Liverpool to go through against Benfica. They've already got a 3-1 advantage. But this Manchester City game, I think all eyes will be on this. And I mean globally, to be honest with you, because the Premier League is the most watched league in the world. And you can feel it. The tension has been building pretty much since since the international break concluded. Even last week, really, it was all about Manchester City League. Even as far back as City drawing away to, to Crystal Palace, I think I remember everyone was eyeing that game up on the yeah. on the Sunday, weren't they? One win in 10 at the Etihad um, for Liverpool, though. How much of a mountain is it for them to climb to to go to what is... I know it's obviously sort of sort of sort of theatrically played on as this this quiet ground. But when the ground, when the Etihad is full and buzzing, I can't imagine it's a particularly easy place to go. How, is that, how, how tough is that task to go to the Etihad and get a result, Ben? It's not easy. We see teams struggle there as well. City have so much of the ball. Now Liverpool like to play on the counter-attack, so that could counteract it. What I would say, I know Liverpool haven't had the greatest record at the Etihad, but one particular game I do remember the winning is arguably the most important game between the two sides at the Etihad, which was the Champions League game, where Liverpool yeah. got to the final. So... I don't think it's going to come down too much to, oh, they've only won one in 10 at the Etihad. Ultimately, Liverpool are on a great run of form. They're a great football side. And they'll just take it one game at a time. Like Ed said, you know, these teams at the top, they're not thinking 14 games ahead. They're thinking, right, what's next week? What's the target this week? Not necessarily what's the end of the season goal. So it's going to be difficult. But I think if they just take it, strip it back and look at it as one singular game, I think they might be right. Well, certainly, it certainly will make for a cracking game. It's not just Liverpool who could make history going into the business end of the season, though, as Manchester City are looking to not only defend their Premier League title, but win their first ever Champions League as well. They also remain in the frame for their, for an infamous treble if they can win the FA Cup too. I caught up with Ray Bubbles from City Fan TV ahead of the game and began by asking him if there was any disappointment in losing the lead they held in the title race. Disappointment? Not really. I mean, it's to be expected. You can't go through the season just winning games. You, can, you know, at some point you're going to uh, suffer a, a drop in form, drop points. Um, Liverpool are a very, very strong uh, team, especially right now. The one was it ten games on the bounce. Um, so yeah, you know, we we had a, we had a really good spell where we won a lot of games and they uh, dropped a few points, and it was inevitable that you know the tables would be turned and that's what happened City I think we'd, we'd lost one and drew two and uh, you know, the gap close to us at one point now yeah of course I mean obviously it's a huge game um, sort of on, on Sunday which we'll touch on a little bit but you're also in the latter stages of the Champions League as well obviously coming yeah. so close last year does it sort of feel like this year could finally be it? It honestly never does because the, the, the Champions League is a is a strange competition because obviously there's, there's a lot of clubs in there that aren't champions um, you can lose a lot of games and still get to the final and win it. I mean, when Liverpool won it uh, a couple of years back, I think they lost four games en route to the final, four out of 13. And you do that in the, in the Premier League and you, you're not winning the title. So it, it's, a, it's a funny old thing. And Pep, Pep is Pep. He always does something strange in the Champions League. And we end up getting beaten like you know, last year against Chelsea, did something odd uh, by not playing a, a you know, holding midfielder. Um, squeezing Raheem Sterling into the side when he wasn't in great form and, and basically messing it up and he's done that before against uh, Spurs we didn't play our normal form against Monaco a few years back so it's, it's a tough tough competition to win um, and maybe you know it's it's not suited to us where we're better over the course of a Premier League season over 38 games where your consistency 
shines through in you know in a one-off game at times in the Champions League. Um, you know you can uh, come a cropper, and that's what's been happening to City over the last few years. Obviously, I mean it's 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 a tough one, isn't it? Because all the media sort of surroundings seems to be all the focus on Liverpool doing this unprecedented quadruple. Where it's, it's very plausible we could still see Manchester City do a treble as well. I mean, is it one of those where you're sort of thinking if you had to pick between one, that there would be a preferred choice? Obviously, you want to win the three, but but I'll put, put it put it to you: if you had to pick between that first Champions League title or pipping Liverpool to the Premier League, which one would it be for you? I'm old school Premier League, all really? day long. Yep, really? all day long. Yep. If you're an old fan like me, you've gone through the dark times. Um, even now, most uh, season card holders, you know, especially the older brigade, they want to win that Premier League again. It's, it, we, we say it's like our, it's our bread and butter. That's what you do. Uh, you know, that's what you work for every week. Uh, you, that's what you train for, um, and that is uh, it shows what how consistent you've been over a season. So that's I think that's the the big goal for most fans. The newer fans, the younger fans, they're more into the Champions League. Uh, you know, if you've been a fan for City for the last ten, let's say ten years, then I think you're more likely to want to win the Champions League just because it's always been there. And when I was a kid growing up, well, we win, you know, there's only one club going into the European Cup, uh, and it was never us. So um, I've not, you know, a lot of City fans haven't grown up with that Champions League or, or the European Cup to look forward to. You know, before we won it in 2012. The last time we won, we were in the you know Champions League or something like that. Um, 1968, uh, after we won the first division title. So you know you got to go a long way back. So City fans haven't grown up with this, and it's still new to us. Um, and Premier League title all day long. Obviously, touching on how big that title sort of is is for you guys. It's it's a, such a big game on Sunday. It's the one everyone has got all their eyes on. How do you see it unfolding? And and can you see City sort of Getting, getting all three points? City have got a good record against Liverpool at home, which uh, statistically, it's about time that record was broken. So, you know, we, we generally win against them. And it just Liverpool are just too good not... You know, they're too good to come to Manchester and, and get beaten again. So it's going to be... It's going to be a really difficult game. Uh, City like to play out from the back. Liverpool like to press... And that's always dangerous um, when you when you put those two that that combination together. Uh, Liverpool will get, I think, a few chances. Uh, they'll they'll steal the ball from City while we're trying to play it around. Um, I, I, I think usually it's the first goal that dis, that'll decide how the, this game goes. I think if, it, if City get it, I think City don't lose. I don't think they've lost any game this season where they've taken the lead. Um, certainly in the league, probably won them all, actually. Uh, but the City are poor coming from behind. So City go behind, the best they'll get is a draw. Um, and to be honest, that's what I think this game will be on Sunday. I think, you know, uh, one-all draw kind of sounds good to me. Well, certainly would take a point with it, still leaving you in the driving seat. Ray, yeah. it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for joining me. No problem, anytime.
That's Ray Bubbles there from City Fan TV, giving us a really great insight ahead of the game on Saturday. Interesting how he said he'd rather win a Premier League title than the Champions League. Bread and butter for football fans of that sort of age, I guess. I'll come to you first, Ed. Does that surprise you or do you think it's just fans of that age who would have watched City growing up not being, you know, certainly not at the level they are now, would rather that those Premier League titles? And it's part of it maybe about catching up to Manchester United eventually. That seems to be the end goal sort of thing, doesn't it? Um, It doesn't surprise me, no, because by his own admission there, and as you just said, for for those who can remember Manchester City, I mean, 20 20 years ago or so, Manchester City were were in the equivalent of League One. Mm. Um, And I think fans who have seen the club through thick and thin, and in that time when you've got neighbours Manchester United, there's been a lot of thin for Manchester City (laughs) fans. I think for them, the elder generation, I think basically winning the Premier League year in, year year out is is the the must-do thing, particularly with the squad they've got. I think the younger generation look at it a little bit differently. They look at it as, and, and sort of say that the one missing jewel in the otherwise pretty impenetrable crown of Pep Guardiola's reign is not having the Champions League. And I think they would see it like that. So I would not be surprised if you were to ask people of a certain generation and the league would be would be what they want to win. And if I were a Manchester City fan, I think I would say the same. Or the younger generation, and I think they would probably want to win the Champions League because it is the one missing piece in the jigsaw. I get the impression as well, though, that it's, it's the, the Champions League is a little bit more about Guardiola than Manchester City mm-hmm. because there's this whole thing that he didn't win it at Bayern Munich, did he? After doing so well with... And as there's this sort of stigma that's, that's around him and him and doing it. Do you, do you think that there's anything in that then? Yeah, maybe it's City fans in their, in their subconscious that they know once Pep Guardiola wins that Champions League, he may look for a new project as mm. he has done in the past. And they think, no, Pep, you've got to stay. We don't need to leave yet. <laughs> uh, if I was a Manchester City fan and I'd seen us win the league on several occasions, now I know they've come a long way since losing to Wickham Wanderers in the third division 20 years ago. I know they've come a long way since then. Oh, I had to get it. I just think... Uh, for me, how as old f- were you <laughs> when that happened? Maybe one. <laughs> I, I just think, for me, when you've seen your team win the Premier League, mm. the next step is to want them to win the biggest prize of all in Europe. And if I had to prioritise one, now the chances of winning the Champions League are so small, aren't they? Mm. There's only so many factors have to go in your way. You, you the, have the, to you have to sort of do the Premier League thing first to have a chance of winning the cha- yeah, Champions League. Yeah, don't exactly, you? exactly, and. You can win the Premier League every season, can't you, necessarily? If you're Manchester City, you've got a chance every year. Champions League is slightly different. It's a knockout tournament. You may come up against a really hard team in the group stages. You may come up against some really hard teams in the knockout phase. So your chances of winning aren't necessarily there every year. So I think they've got to capitalise on it now because they didn't last season. Yeah, focusing on that game on Saturday then, I mean, racing to think that first goal would decide the game, whichever way it went, and it seemed to be slightly concerned that it would be Liverpool that would get that first sort of goal. Is that a fair sort of thing, Ed, do you think, for, for, for it to say that that first goal will absolutely decide it? It certainly didn't in the other game, did it, at, at Anfield? I don't think it'll absolutely decide it, but at the same time, you have to, you know, you look at the table and you look at the form between these two teams. They played 60 games between them this Premier League season. They've conceded 38 goals between them. So it's very, it's very plausible. Let's be totally honest, it is very, very plausible that 
one goal decides this game without a shadow of a doubt. At the same time, I think as football fans, sometimes we get a bit carried away and we sometimes think, well, this is going to be an absolute humdinger. Don't be surprised if this game turns out to actually be a bit of a a cagey affair that is not how we all expect. Because, you know, in any sport, no matter how much we build it up or hype it up, and this is something that really fascinates me. As someone who's worked in the media for about a decade, I look at the way in which we as the media hype up games over which we have no control over the outcome. Once people step onto the grass, what happens happens. like we're doing right now. (laughs) (laughs) If you will, yeah. But in all honesty, the amount of times I've heard people say, oh, I thought it was going to be a great game. And the media play their part in that, but actually we have no control in it. The only the only way in which you can kind of go, it's going to be fantastic and it actually is, is something like wrestling, because you've kind of written the outcome in advance, <laughs> to be yeah, totally true. Yeah. So it could go either way. That said, games between these two have, on the whole, in the last few years, and we've entered an era now where I think we do have a, a discernible top two. I know that Chelsea were kind of in the conversation after winning the Champions League with Thomas Tuchel, but let's be totally honest we've had a a discernible top two for the last few years Jurgen Klopp and Liverpool and Pep Guardiola and Manchester City and the games between them by and large have been really really enjoyable affairs I mean this is not dissimilar to the scenario we found ourselves in in January back in 2019 where you know we were looking at that as the game that could decide the season it was January and we honestly thought that whoever wins this could well go on and win the league because neither team showed a sign of of particularly losing their pace or their or their you know their momentum as it were and it was a fantastic game so you know I think it's I think it has all the makings of something that could be really really good but yeah that might well come down to a a 1-0 win as well Chelsea for me have lost all credentials of any task race ever after that Brentford result on the weekend as well just absolutely shocking from them wasn't it I mean like you just touched on that media focus about a sort of Liverpool's quadruple the treble for City would be equally impressive as we mentioned wouldn't it the, the only thing for me is obviously he, he was very close to, to that double last season wasn't he when when they won when they won the, the Premier League and very nearly the Champions League as well he's been accused of sort of out tacticking himself if that's I don't think tacticking is a word but you know you know what I'm saying certainly when he didn't play that holding midfielder against Chelsea in that Champions League final and it, that was very similar to what you were saying a cagey affair everyone expected that to be full of life and it was, wasn't one of the best Champions League finals I can remember obviously is ensuring he doesn't do that this weekend really important for, for City's chances going into it? Oh, 100%. I, I just think when you're someone of Pep Guardiola's ilk and, you, and you've got so much knowledge in your brain about football, that is possible that sometimes you can maybe go a bit over the top and you can overthink it. Well, well let's, not, let's not forget how he came up with this Messi's incredible position, wasn't it? The, the, the story goes that he sat in the Camp Nou the night before they play Real Madrid and it pops into his head at three o'clock in the morning that he's going to play Messi not as a striker but as a false nine and that's how that's born. So it certainly can work sometimes, can't it? Yeah, and that's, you know, he's a genius and he has done things in his past. Ed mentioned the fact that Manchester City don't really have a striker and they and they still are <laughs> top of the Premier League. They didn't really have a striker last year. Obviously, we see we saw Spain do that at the Euros years ago when they when they won the tournament. I just think he, he is such a tactical genius that, yes, he can maybe overdo it at times. However, in this game, I, I can't see him getting it wrong. We know what Manchester City needs to do. We know that Liverpool are probably going to sit back and look to counter on the break being away from home. Manchester City need to do what they did on Tuesday or when uh, Tuesday, yes, last night. Yeah, yeah, they, they, let's face it, they played an incredibly difficult to beat Atletico Madrid side where they, I think they didn't have a shot at goal or a shot on target. Not a shot at goal. 
not a single shot at goal. It was a bit like, and I mean this with no disrespect, Ben, but that game, how they, how Atletico would Don't play, say it. Don't it was say like it. when Wickham went to the, to the Etihad. It generally was. It was they were defending in blocks yeah. of eleven, and that's and that Wickham have a reason to play like that against yeah. Manchester City. Atletico Madrid on paper don't at all, do they? No, and let's face it, that's probably given them a, a good. Uh, you know, good practice going into into this game on Sunday. They've they've had to come up against a side that are playing two blocks of five that weren't trying to win the game. Liverpool need to win the game, so they're going to be more attacking, and that will probably create space for Man City to cause some damage. Yeah, certainly, certainly, certainly will. Right, I'll put you two on the spot then going into it. How do you see tonight to, on sun, Sunday's game going? Ed? Do you think it is going to be the draw like Ray mentioned, or will one team prevail? I'm going to go for a repeat of the result in January 2019. I think City will win it and it will be two goals to one. Okay, very interesting, Ben. I think Liverpool will win it. Yeah, I really do. Yeah, I, I can see them putting a run together here and I think they'll they'll edge it maybe by one goal. Let's say 2-1 the other way, Liverpool. It's, it's very interesting how when Ben's predicting the whole outcome of a World Cup, He'll tell you the final, the two teams and what the score's going to be, like he did last week. But when it comes to, to a game this Sunday, he's less prepared to stick his knack out on the line. I, I, I probably agree with you there, but I, I think Liverpool are just going to just going to wedge it and blow this total race wide open. And I think that's maybe more to do with the fact that that's what I want to happen yeah. more than anything else, because I'd love to see it. It's also been a busy week uh, so far in the Champions League, though, as well as we mentioned earlier, both Liverpool and Manchester City winning their first legs, 3-1 and 1-0 respectively. Tonight sees another English side in action no, as Chelsea take on Real Madrid at Stamford Bridge and Bayern Munich face Villarreal as well. Two big games this evening as well then, fellas. It seems to be a case of who will play City and Liverpool more than anything, doesn't it? I think at this point it, it probably does. It'll be interesting to see what Manchester City face when they go to Atletico because, as you say, you know how Atletico are going to play and you say that Atletico didn't have a reason to play like that. I would argue they do because that's how they play. Mm. Um, it, it is a bit kind of baffling but at the same time it has proven to be very effective to get any kind of market share in the league football, that it? you that's share thing, yeah. with Barcelona and Real Madrid. If that's what you have to do then that is yeah, what okay. you do. I see what you're um, and let's face it, going to Manchester City, Manchester City have beaten Liverpool Five nil before. Now I know that was an occasion where Sadio Mane got sent off, but Manchester City and Liverpool, let's face it, both have the ability to go and beat any team four five nil. It does happen. Manchester City beat Chelsea six nil. So really, what you're trying to do if you're Atletico for me is stay in the game and then take it back to your place. You know you're the second leg and give yourself that fighting chance. So I will be interested to see what happens there. But if you're going to back anyone to go and turn over Atletico, you know when they're in their home stadium, then Pep Guardiola is a pretty good shout. So yeah, I would argue that it is very much advantage Man City. But you know Liverpool, Manchester City, Chelsea are going to need to improve from that result they had in in you know at the Brentford game. Game the other day because I was at that game and it was just extraordinary from start to finish. That, that, that was my next question. They were obviously humbled, like you said, weren't they? I mean, what needs to change against a team like Real Madrid? It's, it's chalk and cheese, isn't it? With no disrespect to Brentford, that we're suddenly looking at a, a team that you know I know are probably aren't at the heights that they once were, but certainly remain one of Europe's biggest forces. What needs to change for them if they're going to if they're going to beat Real Madrid tonight? I mean, let's be totally honest. First and foremost. Thomas Tuchel came out of that game afterwards and said, I, I don't really know what's just happened there. <laughs> My analysis with a, <laughs> with a couple of days to process it, when I was at that game and I was sat right behind the goal where four of the five goals went in, David Raya made a fantastic save towards the end of the first half, which kept Brentford in the game. Honestly, I think if that goes in about 41 minutes, I think it was, Chelsea win that game without a problem because they go in at halftime, they reset, come out and they go about their business and, and Brentford don't get back in the game. If I'm totally honest with you, I think Chelsea and everyone in the ground were quite bewildered 
by what Antonio Rudiger produced. Nobody saw it coming, least of all David Rea, I might add, <laughs> pings in off the post. But I think they then underestimated yeah, Brentford. Just worth mentioning, he had no idea what to do with himself for that one. <laughs> he just sort of <laughs> ran around like a mad fan. It was honestly, it was extraordinary. A fantastic goal. One of the best goals I've ever been in the presence of in an mm. actual football ground. It was unbelievable. But I think, to be totally honest with you, Brentford had been so resolute that once that happened... I honestly sat there and thought, right, right a passage, Chelsea go and win this, maybe get another goal, but they're locked down. But Brentford weren't having it, went and got, I think, three goals in the next 12 minutes. They caught Chelsea cold, and that really was a reminder to Chelsea that actually they really needed to switch on. I think they lost focus, and by the time they got it back and really started to put together anything that resembled play, it all became like Pep Guardiola always fears, in a sense, you know, at Manchester City, which is that if you don't put yourself in a position whereby you're getting the goals and you're getting a lot of chances, everything becomes too hurried, too rushed, and that's exactly what happened. I mean, the fourth goal was, uh, at that point, if you know, the, the game had gone, really, but Brentford went about their business in a, in a fantastic way, and I think, yeah, it was a real eye-opener ahead of Real Madrid but if you had to pick a game as a Chelsea fan to lose bizarrely you'd definitely pick that one because yeah. ultimately the title's gone in the Premier League you're still going to finish top four I think that much is, is pretty yeah. much certain but you go and do that against Real Madrid well there's no coming back really no it could, be, it could be a cricket score couldn't it if, if they do that I mean I certainly don't think they're, they're going to have too much Too much. I, th- I think it might be a very tough game for them tonight I should say as well great to see Christian Eriksen obviously back on the score sheet as well wasn't it I mean what, what a story that is to see him back amongst the Premier League goals yeah and he's also scored a couple for Denmark recently yeah. hasn't he as well he looks like he's back to his best obviously when he first came back I'll I was probably like a few others really were a little bit sceptical a little bit concerned I I didn't want him to you know not be a shadow of the player he was maybe just the fitness levels weren't there but he he looks like the Christian Eriksen of old yeah and that goal on on Saturday I don't know if it's because he's wearing white on Saturday yeah him scoring that goal at Stamford Bridge like he used to do for Tottenham you know he's back and how much of a boost has that been for Brentford by the way I, I think he's kept them up I really yeah, do yeah. I know we said it when he came in this could save them this season and it has you know look at the lease of life it's given them yeah. felt like it really had the propensity to go one or two ways yeah. one of which being the one where like you say everybody's a little bit concerned yeah. and thinks really is that the best thing that he could possibly do given what had happened but honestly he was he was sublime to watch dictated the play you know he, he, he kind of was was well up there and wouldn't have been out of place in that Chelsea team I think that whole all. that whole thing is testament to the way Brentford have handled it though isn't it as well that Thomas Frank wasn't all about right he's here put him in the starting 11 that was never the never the intention it was easing him in in substitute appearances and stuff like that to then come in come into this sort of game and do very well and I think that's what that's that sort of needs a recognition as well I'm it? not because just saying this, I, I honestly think that Thomas Frank might arguably have been the best man that he could have walked in under yeah. coming yeah. back into a club and, and coming back into football. I really do. Thomas Frank oozes class. For me, he is a Premier League manager in terms of his persona. Absolutely. I think it was the best possible move for him. You only have to look at that opening day of the season, don't you? When I think he was he was celebrating with, with fans, yeah. wasn't he? After, after they won that. He, he really is a top draw bloke. Just finishing up on, on the preview of the Champions League tonight, then Bayern, Bayern Munich, obviously very much still in it. It all seems to be focused around the English teams, doesn't yeah. it? They love spoiling an English party historically as well. I remember them beating Arsenal and Spurs many years ago, singing football's coming home in the respective <laughs> away end. So let's, <laughs> let's not write them off just yet they should coast past Villarreal though no you would think so and yet at this stage of the Champions League nobody's a bad team 
realistically. So, you know, again, you have to kind of maintain your focus. A team that's probably not going to have a problem doing that, I imagine, will be Bayern Munich. But nobody can be underestimated at this mm. stage. Granted, if you had to pick a draw, you'd pick Benfica, you'd pick Villarreal mm. because the the other opposition that you've got, Liverpool, Chelsea, Real Madrid, Bayern Munich, you don't really want to face those teams until you absolutely have to. Yeah. But uh, nonetheless, you know, as we've seen before, and, and, and you know, Manchester United back in, in the Europa in the Europa League final, you know, kind of you can get a you can get a bloody nose if you underestimate a team and sort of think you're already halfway after there. about seven hundred penalties as well. Does it? How does it? Do, do you think they could spoil this party of yeah. English teams, Ben? I think the case with Bayern Munich, as it usually is, is the, the question is I have is they're always so far ahead in the Bundesliga. I mean, they're as usual, they're nine points ahead currently. They play the same amount of games. The league is pretty much wrapped up. For me, it's when they get to those latter stages of the, the Champions League. Are they quite prepared? Have they been playing intense enough games? Have they been losing games? Have they been struggling in games enough at home to be prepared for the Champions League? And I'm not sure they have been. You know, they're so far clear of so many teams in that German league that for me, I think that does cost them at times where they come up against these sides like Liverpool, like Man City that are fighting every single week in the Premier League. There's not, a, maybe Bar Norwich, there's not a single <laughs> easy game in the Premier League, is there? Maybe Crystal Palace as well. But. <laughs> I was going to say, I was going to say Everton. Actually. When when Sam said on our interview a couple of days ago, you know Everton won't roll over, I was like, well, they might. <laughs> it's more whether they have the ability to not roll over because it feels like I, I don't. I generally don't know if they do, but I mean, it certainly will be a very interesting to see how the Champions League unfolds over the next couple of weeks, as well as the Premier League. Well, as we approach the climax of the season, we're seeing history unfold, and it's not at the very top of the level that these stories seem as enthralling as ever. As across the divisions, the narrative continue to hold our attention stay tuned as we'll be tackling those centered in the thames valley next across the thames valley one more time across the thames valley this this is river radio well now for some pop music try this the football show on river radio this is extra time Hello and welcome back to Extra Time here on River Radio where we cover the biggest footballing stories from the Thames Valley and beyond. Now though, it's time to turn our attention to the Thames Valley and the local sport that's unfolded over the last week or so. Without further ado, over to you, Mr. Tulsit. Right, okay, deep breath. Are you ready for this? It's a whistle-stop tour around the Thames Valley and we'll start with the Championship where Reading took a big stride towards safety with a 2-1 win over Stoke City last night. Michael Morrison opened the scoring within 15 minutes but the visitors equalised through substitute remain Sawyers on the stroke of half time the Royals remain resolute however and I can see you both <laughs> sitting back yeah. we're not even started yet they did remain resolute and uh, then Taylor Harwood Bellis headed into his own net when pressured by forward Lucas Zhao the result puts eight points between Paul Lintz's side and 22nd place Barnsley with whom they played out a 1-1 draw on Saturday the Tykes still have a game in hand however so the race for survival could continue for some time yet. In the WSL, meanwhile, Reading women faced off against title contenders Chelsea on Sunday. The Blues proved too much for Kelly Chambers' side, who ultimately fell foul of a 5-0 scoreline. They do remain within touching distance of a top-half finish, though, and will look to address their poor run of form when they welcome West Ham on Saturday. Elsewhere, Wickham Wanderers extended their unbeaten run to six games with a victory over Doncaster Rovers on Saturday. A first-half goal from veteran Gareth McCleary gave the chairboys the lead before Alice Mimetti secured the win with 15 minutes to go. That result took the Adams Park side to within a point of the playoffs, a gap 
they've since bridged with an impressive 4-1 win at Cambridge last night. Top scorer Sam Boak scored twice to help Gareth Ainsworth's team climb up to sixth. They travelled to 21st place Chillingham on Saturday. Sticking with League One then, and the latest rounds of action have seen Oxford slip to eighth after losses to both Plymouth and Morecambe. The U's took the lead within three minutes against the latter of those two sides last night, but were undone by goals from Aaron Wildig and Cole Stockton. Back-to-back defeats means Carl Robinson's side are without a win since March. It doesn't get any easier for them either as we approach the business end of the season. They face a visit from promotion rivals Sunderland on Saturday. And finally, Maiden Head United remained well clear of the relegation zone but are winless in three following their latest fixtures. The Magpies were beaten 3 1 by Solihull Moors on Saturday and were unable to find a way past Wellstone last night with that game finishing 0 0. It's been a really testing campaign, as we know, for Alan Devonshire's side. They'll look to push themselves up the table when they visit Bottom Club Dover on Saturday. The hosts have won just once all season, remain on negative points, and have had their relegation confirmed in March. So fingers crossed the Pies can deliver a positive result there. That's the Valley Wrap. I'm Ed Talton. Oh, top draw stuff. Yeah, yeah again, Mr. Talton. <laughs> Love it. Absolutely brilliant stuff. I mean, some plenty to unpick there for us as well. So thank you very much. Starting off with Reading, obviously, you mentioned eight points now between themselves and Barnsley after that draw on Saturday. I mean, just we, we, we spoke about it last week about how big that game was. Probably bigger than City Liverpool, I'd argue. And no it's, doubt. <laughs> certainly in this area. Yeah, doubt. Exactly. Um, I mean, how big a result for that was, was that for them? It was like a win, wasn't it, scoring that late to equalise? Well, I think it it was because they conceded so early because everyone would have known they would have known going onto the pitch exactly what they didn't want to do and that was concede an early goal and then Carlton Morris pops up for Barnsley after five minutes Bosch they're 1-0 down mm-hmm. but I think that is a testament to what Paul Lintz has maybe brought a little bit more steel and conviction and being able to mentally ride that out because obviously in the end being able to go and get that equaliser rather than succumb was huge for them and I think when we talked about it previously we almost didn't discuss the idea that there could be a draw no. it felt like one team or the other absolutely <laughs> had to win but the draw certainly helped Reading more than it helped Barnsley and maintain that five point gap which has now been extended to, to eight points I don't think anyone expected the result as well last night did they against well, Stoke so. I was going to say the best bit about that week, the result on the weekend is they've backed it up now with yeah. a win at Stoke yeah. you know that's a huge win for them eight points now there's only six games for Reading left to play you would think it's too much now for Barnsley to bridge. In my opinion, it's probably slightly too much. Some slide Stoke have been on as well, haven't they? Yeah, and it's, yeah. Reading have sort of kicked them while they're down, if you will. <laughs> but I, th- I think it's, uh, it's certainly interesting how, how that will play out. But I mean, it, it, I saw it as well. Not, not taking anything away from Reading, because Paul Lynch does, like you say, have, seem to have steeled this team right up. But... If I did see it described as a comedy of errors from Stoke in terms of some of their goals they conceded. I mean, it was... It, it, but you, you take gifts you at take the stage luck, of the don't season, you? don't you? You, you, you take your luck. To. And I'm sure Reading fans and Paul Lintz won't, won't be caring about Stokes, <laughs> you know, defending. At the end of the day, Reading took their chances. Stoke only limited Stoke to one goal. So if I was a Reading fan, I wouldn't care about <laughs> Stokes' terrible defending. And let's face it, we all support teams who have been in, immersed in, in relegation battles over the year. And yeah. there are times where, quite frankly, you, you have what feels like more than your fair share of yeah. bad luck. So you've got to take the good luck when it yeah. comes. If you luck's in, you luck's in, isn't it? Huge results for Reading this week then. I spoke to James Urshaw, Urshaw from the Reading Chronicle this week though and start out by asking him all about that result on Saturday No it was, it was a massive game I mean obviously whoever would have got the upper hand in that would have had not only the, the points but the momentum going into into the final seven um, and it was actually a really really poor performance in the first half from Reading um, but they managed to turn it around and that point sort of means more than just the point it, it meant you know a bit of momentum going into the game obviously last night and um, 
kept the gap sort of as it was with one game down and obviously that's the chance for Barnsley to, to beat us gone. Um, so yeah, it was a big, big win but it was important that we followed it up. Did that late goal as well almost feel like it was a win? Yeah, no, it definitely felt more like a win in, to us and it felt more like a defeat for them which is only going to obviously impact the mentality of either side. It gave Reading the extra boost going into into the final, what, seven and it probably took a bit out of um, Barnsley. I mean, the, they had a player come to the post-match press conference and he sounded right down in the dumps and uh, that would have been us if it was the other way around. So it's always nice to get a psychological boost as well as a uh, points boost. Absolutely. I mean, obviously that was that was improved last night as well when, when Reading overcame Stoke 2-1 in what has been described as a comedy of errors I've seen from from Stoke. I mean, is that fair? And, and just how big a win is that for Reading in, in this relegation battle? No, I, I don't think it's fair particularly. I mean, obviously the... Um, the Stoke goal they scored was a bit of a comedy of errors. I mean, Nyland should have done a lot better with that. Um, uh, but I can kind of see where they're coming from because the first goal was originally saved and it kind of got bundled in. And then obviously the own goal for the for the winner, although originally I thought it was Lucas Yarrow from where I was sat. But um, no, it was it was a massive, massive win, arguably even bigger than the Barnsley win because it was important to back up a point with, with a win. And obviously the gap is now up to eight points and, you know, realistically it should be enough if, if they sort of play the cards right. You touched on it there, that gap has now grown, obviously, between Reading and Barnsley. Do you think then, as it stands, that they do have enough to, to stay in the division? And it's very much in their hands, isn't it? Oh, yeah. No, they're, they're in the driving seat now. I mean, the players can't start believing that. I mean, they've got to go out and I think one more win will just about do it. Um, obviously, you want to win all the games and, you know, carry momentum into next season. But um, no, I think a couple of points here and there, which is, they're more than capable of picking up. And I, there's no reason why they can't beat Cardiff on Saturday and, and then really sort of sort of put the boot in on, on the bottom three and sort of make sure they're in the championship again for next season. Are these last two results, and, and certainly results before that as well, sort of testament to the job Paul Ince has done as well? He sort of seems to have shaken things up. It wasn't a sort of immediately brilliant start other than the first couple of results, but it, is this whole sort of thing testament to, to the job that he's done at Reading, do you think? Yeah, oh yeah, this is, Paul Ince has definitely put a stamp on the team. I mean, they're so much harder to beat. Now, I mean, they had the, the embarrassing defeat to, to Nottingham Forest when they conceded four. Um, but ever since that moment, you know, they've been on the up and they've really sort of dug in. I mean, all that you've got to think is where's this performance been all season? I mean, they're good players on paper that shouldn't be down where, they're, where they are on the table. But, you know, whatever he's done, whether it's you know, taking the shackles off or maybe even put the shackles on, um, whatever he's done, you know, they're getting over the line and, and they're picking up enough points to, to just about keep their heads above water. Well, we certainly wish Reading the very best for the rest of the season, James, and thank you so much for joining me. Cheers for having me. There you go, that's James Earnshaw there from the Reading Chronicle talking about Reading's survival chances and, and the last couple of results. I mean, it's certainly been interesting for them and we do wish them the best of luck. It does look though, they look like they're all but safe now. Moving on to Bucks, uh, and we'll talk a little bit about Wickham now. Obviously, Ben, you're our man for that, naturally. Our chief Wickham Wanderers correspondent, as I said earlier. Let's get straight into it, mate. A huge result on Saturday on Akin Fende. I think it was called or something like that, wasn't it? Akin Fende. Yeah, it should have been. That's, I've just That's straight, off, straight off the top of the head, that was brilliant. <laughs> uh, but how was the performance away away from Akin Fende? Yeah, it, it was a good performance. You could tell that, you know, that there was an atmosphere around the club that it almost felt a little bit like a testimonial. Doncaster, I have to say, 
were a terrible team. They're, they're definitely think, the worst side I think side you said last week that they've, they've, their local press has almost resigned them to oh. relegation, haven't they? Which is baffling in its own way because they are still mathematically very much in the <laughs> conversation, but there was a there was a headline that effectively said they were slipping out of the league without a fight. Yeah, Doncaster looks absolutely diabolical at the back it reminded me of one of those league two games against a, a struggling forest green where every time Wickham <laughs> went forward you felt they were going to score you know Akin Fenwick came on and, and I think he beat four players in one run at some point you know Doncaster were a poor side but but Wickham turned up they had to get the win and, and like we said before having a couple of weeks off isn't easy coming back in and hitting the ground running and that's exactly what they did yeah obviously a big win last night as well Wickalona people have been calling you haven't they I think I think you've only yeah, called us that yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I was hoping you wouldn't bring that but obviously no you mentioned obviously off air beforehand that that was that was the sort of theme of a lot of tweets from Cambridge fans last night who were mentioning it oh, Wickham last night were on absolute fire I have to say I, I, it's one of the best Wickham performances I've seen in a long time every single time Wickham went forward they looked like they could score I think they hit the post three times alongside scoring four goals Sam Vokes obviously now up to 14 goals for the season what a return for him by the way that's his best goal scoring season in about five years um, we look solid at the back I know Stockdale will be frustrated about the goal it's gone through his legs that could have been three clean sheets and four it's, it appears the defensive issues have resolved and obviously Gareth McCleary getting his first away goal in I think about 13 years which is an incredible stat I mean it, I'm curious just in amongst all the wicked performances you've seen I think as fans we always have like a performance in our head or in our mind where we think that's the best I've ever seen us play where would that one rank for yourself? It ranks pretty highly I have wow. to say it does rank pretty I remember some of the League 2 days when we got promoted I, I thought that was the best Wickham team I'd ever see and that's now changed where, where let's face it this Wickham side is, is probably the best Wickham side there ever has been in terms of um, playing football mixing it up and the quality of players in the squad so no last night was just an example of what those players can do and also I mean another question we've got to ask because we can't just gloss over this I mean Akin Fenwick retiring at the end of the season irrespective of, of what happens to the club whether or not they do manage to secure the playoffs promotion etc mm-hmm. what a fantastic servant he's been and, and where does he rank in terms of the Wiccan legends because there are, there are a few of those he's, he's right up there for me obviously in recent history as well being a quite a young Wiccan fan he's very much in my memory. I'm sure there's older Wickham fans that will just see him as another great striker we've had, but he's our record goal scorer in the EFL. And when we signed him all those years ago, he was already in his mid-30s and people thought, this is a PR stunt. Ainsworth it, it was after that playoff final, wasn't it? Yeah. He said, come and sign me. me up on the WhatsApp because yeah. I think I'm technically unemployed. <laughs> you know, I was there for that one and that was surreal in itself, wasn't it? Yeah, so. so was I. And when he came on in that game, I felt like this guy has passed it. He's, you know, he's come towards the end of his career. This is his shining moment as he he's going to retire so no for him to become our top goal scorer and the way he's done it as well um, playing pretty much every game every season at his age with you know he's also had a very bad knee for two or three seasons now which has only started to catch up I think in this last year no he, he's one of in my opinion one of Wickham's all-time greats a lot, a lot of media work he does around playing as well which is incredible really when yeah. you think about it it's, how does he fit it all in his schedule it's, it's quite a mystery just asking just to finish off Ben on, on Wickham the playoff picture is changing all the time obviously with, with teams playing at different times back up to sixth though two, two points ahead of Sunderland um, and level on points with Sheffield Wednesday they both have a game in hand 
It's on, isn't it? Yeah, it's definitely on. It's definitely <laughs> back on. No, no I, I said it at the start. Wickham went seven games without a win. They've now gone seven games without a defeat. And I just think if you're going to go into those final ga- final five games, you've got to have a bit of momentum. I look at teams like Oxford, for example. They've got an incredibly hard running. I, I think I, I can't see them getting back in. I look at Plymouth, who have an incredibly hard running. There could be another gap open up there. So I think... They can't focus around Sheffield Wednesday, around Sunderland. They've just got to keep winning games. Now, gilling them away this Saturday, another team struggling with the bomb. Just focus on winning that game, and that's another three points One in the game bank. at a time. Exactly. And when, you get to, when you get to playoffs as well, I think the interesting thing about that is that often it is the team who comes into it with momentum. Yeah. It doesn't really matter where you finish at that point because all four teams are in it. It's often the team who've maybe had to put together a late surge that get promoted because they're the form team when it gets to crunch time so that will be really really important that you are able to maintain that and just keep things ticking over and go into it full of confidence yeah and you also have to remember this is a Wickham side that have got credentials in the playoffs you know they won only two seasons ago most of the players were there when that happened they like that underdog mentality they'll like being you know the sixth place team because that in their eyes that thinks okay everyone's going to write us off and they're going to pick a Rotherham or an MK Dons whoever it is that's going to take that third space so no if Wickham I've always said all along if Wickham gets in the playoffs I fancy Wickham to win the playoffs. I really do. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's certainly interesting, isn't it? I mean, I'll see how they do with the crowd as well, because obviously last time it was it was all on the TV, wasn't it, in, in the middle of a lockdown? So that'll be really interesting. We certainly do wish Wickham the very best of luck going forward and see if they see if they can sneak in to that playoff picture. Certainly will be a really interesting end to the season. Up next, though, it's our Offside Opinions. Across the Thames Valley. One more time. Across the Thames Valley. This, this is River Radio. Well, now for some pop music. Try this. The Football Show on River Radio. This is Extra Time. Welcome back to Extra Time on River Radio. And as the end of the show, unfortunately, approaches, it's time for our offside opinions. This is where one of us will normally submit a football thought that goes against the grain for most people before trying to defend themselves whilst under fire from the rest of the panel. My, My usual favourite sort of section of the show. Uh, But Ed, you've decided to take it in a slightly different direction for our DAB debut, haven't you? And give us some rites of passage at the game at grassroots level to see if we agree or disagree. Um, Do you want to kick us off with what sort of thing you've got? Well, I sort of do, yeah, but I'll I'll prefix this by trying to make it fit the template that we have had for offside opinions. And the thought I've come up with is this. If England fail to win the World Cup this coming winter uh, as Ben says that they absolutely will 2-1 <laughs> against France 2-1 against France to our, yeah. <laughs> against France. go back to our previous episode to find out the exact prediction from Nostradamus <laughs> over here um, but in all seriousness right if they don't I place the blame for this absolutely fairly and squarely at the foot of the grassroots game okay okay and and these are my reasons for it because on the one hand you know listen i don't i don't care what happens in that final i don't care if six players get sent off and it gets abandoned and we lose that way the grassroots game is to blame now honestly had you asked me last week i wouldn't have said that but then i stumbled across this article here okay and there were so many things that chimed with me just about you know football as a you know on a Sunday morning, shall we say, mm. or pub football, where you sit there and think, yeah, no, I've seen that. Yeah, that, <laughs> okay. that's about right. I'm going to go through a few of them, all yeah. right? And if I'm wrong, by all means, feel free to shout. But, right, we'll start with the first one. 
tackles that are borderline GBH. Yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you see them. I think you actually do see genuine GBH as well, oh, away from the tackles. Most weeks, but, most but weeks. Tackle, oh, mate, some people absolutely go flying but through. As someone that plays in the Luton and Beds League, I can tell you that there definitely are some strong tackles going in week in, week Some out. of them deliberate as well, which don't go down well with me. But, and, you know. and not only that, there's now compilations. If you go onto Instagram, <laughs> there are compilations of awful tackles. And there have been times where, where you've played football and you yeah. don't play very much particularly when you start to, to work in sport you often work weekends and you do miss it when you used to play a lot occasionally you'll sit there and think you know what maybe I could maybe I could go and you know put the boots back on and, and turn out for, for someone somewhere it only takes me to see one of those compilations I think nah I'm alright actually <laughs> you talked about Akin Ben was knee there Billy when you get in your 30s Ben <laughs> trust me that's a thing that's the famous one of the guy just jumping in and two foot in someone's chest isn't there oh, it's just, yeah. just absolutely ridiculous right what else, what else we got Ed. I'll skip down the list. This one is just a worrying fact, and, and it doesn't bode well for the local councils in any area across the UK. You're probably going to slide in excrement. Yeah, okay. yeah oh. very fair. What what annoys me is I briefly refereed for a small for a small period of time. You kept that quiet. We've yeah, been doing yeah. this show for over a year. Yeah, and you've never yeah. previously mentioned no, that. No, did I not? Have I genuinely not mentioned? You've that? never yeah. ever, seriously. You do you've never now said you, that. Now you've mentioned it, you do strike me as a referee. I, 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 I'm not sure that's the compliment. I think it is. Uh, <laughs> but but no, and and it's, it's frustrating because you have as the to old do... adage goes, will the referee? <laughs> yeah, whoa, 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 whoa. whoa. Uh, but you have to. It's it's a tough one. Basically, what what I'm trying to say is that. there's there's supposed to be all these checks for a lot of people from experience of knowing the other referees I did that is literally down to nothing more than both the the ground the people at the grounds not checking properly and the referees not being bothered to yeah as someone who plays in goal I've I've had the misfortune of coming across that scenario a few times surely that's not a big area to check though the goal goal area you'd think not you'd think not (laughs) and yet Uh, the next one is the concept of magic water (laughs) <laughs> it does make everything better in fairness medically it? or scientifically I'll be honest with you the jury's very much out on whether or not magic water <laughs> works but come Sunday morning 9.30 kickoff, obviously particularly when you're a kid as mm. well water seems to be the fix for, for everything I'll move swiftly on cigarettes at half time are fine <laughs> and they encourage <laughs> It's, it's it's so bizarre because I don't think there's anything else you could see that in and it be so widely accepted. I've seen, I've seen cans sometimes. Oh, beers. Beers all the time before the game, just to, you know, and don't loosen get me wrong, up a bit, there, right? have yeah. been, there have been stories. I mean, I seem to recall Simon Garner, who you guys I wouldn't imagine have, have heard of, but was a, a great goal scorer for Blackburn in the very late 1980s. Used Ex-Wickham to famously well. have a cigarette at, at half-time, apparently. That was, that was part of his routine, and it did him absolutely no harm whatsoever. <laughs> I, th- I, th- I, th- I think this is the thing, though. The, the modern-day football has moved on quite a lot, hasn't it? Certainly at the professional level. And grassroots has just stagnated in the 80s. That's what yeah. it feels like. and it, that, I think that's, that's why we see so many of these... I don't want to say charming is probably the wrong word, is it? But, but fit things about football that you just don't see at the top level anymore. It's what yeah. it should be like. I yeah. think, what it should I think be charming like. would be the word you used if you were an estate agent trying to sell the grassroots game, <laughs> wouldn't it? Do you know maybe, what I mean? Maybe. Okay. And I think the next one is perhaps the purest embodiment of this. No team since the creation of Sunday League has ever had a matching kit. <laughs> Someone always rocks up in stripy socks, don't they? Uh, Every single time. Do you know what? We, my team that I play for this year, we've only been going a year, so we've only had our kit eight months, and we've already got players with different shorts, <laughs> different socks. People but need how new does socks. That happen? 
Well, you know, I, I don't Is know. Is like you a get... room 101 where everyone's like stray <laughs> kit has gone? Do you know what I mean? Because I mean, I, I was... A black hole of sorts. When I lived over in Malaysia, I coached a team and I managed to secure us a kit made by night. Within a year, the next year when I'd come back to the UK and I saw them again, that kit was in complete disarray <laughs> when I saw them. And I was like, how is that even possible? Because the last time I saw it, it was immaculate, it was new, and in the intervening 12 months, all over the place. Have you ever seen that clip of Dennis Wise managing in Asia? No, you're gonna, no. Have to, you're gonna have to. Oh, I can't repeat the words in it. Don't worry then if you haven't seen it. But it's basically him along the lines of of him speaking very condescendingly to a group of Asian teenagers, telling them to absolutely go through players, essentially. Which which is, is the image I get of Ed no, managing have, it. Yeah, I the, the image yeah, I get of Ed managing it in Malaysia. You put him yeah. in Rose. <laughs> I, I honestly don't think it, it was necessarily that sophisticated. But <laughs> I was very young at the time. Yeah, I must go. say it was a fantastic time. But the, the kit thing has always bothered yeah. me whenever I've played irrespective of who I played for whether it was Sunday League as a kid because you never see a Premier League team without matching kit do you you never see that Um, there's always an ex-academy player playing (laughs) there's always a token token player who you sit there and think how is he how is he on this team (laughs) step overs and everything it's every week you turn up and one of the lads will look at the other team and think oh no what's wrong he plays for a semi-pro side. <laughs> He's just here to for a mate. Sort of <laughs> Every single one. We've yeah. got time for a couple quick more. Sunday League football listed here as the only reason you'd strip off to your underwear in a leisure centre car park. <laughs> <laughs> and no it's one questions it. No, no one questions it. When, no. the, when the gaffer says, right, go on, get stripped, no one goes, hang on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's a very weird culture, isn't it, as well, though, that it's fully acceptable to, to play 90 minutes of football in the pouring rain and, and even the ice sometimes times and all sorts mm-hmm. but then go and have sort of sausage and chips and 12 pints afterwards and that's completely fine even oh, on a Sunday that's a, that's that's the reward you know I, <laughs> I, I had a game last night for, we are a Sunday league side by the way but for whatever reason we had to play a Tuesday night game and me and the manager said if we win we'll meet up at lunch today and get a McDonald's and that's exactly what we did so even though you didn't win no we did we, <laughs> hold on hold on 3-1 the win, game's actually. gone the yeah. game's gone <laughs> that's the problem that's modern football ruining the Sunday league game. playing on Tuesdays in a Sunday league it's a borderline disgrace <laughs> and just finally half your team will have turned up an hour late the morning after the <laughs> clocks have gone forward it's, it's a given it's a shoot it's not even worth discussing is it but that absolutely will happen there's nothing on that list where I sit there and think no that's not indicative of grassroots or, or Sunday league football at all and I put it to you that if England lose the World Cup final coming up because clearly we've circumnavigated the quarters and the semis yeah. and the group stage you know that's already that's already a given in this analogy I'm giving you then grassroots is to play. I'd love to see what German and Spanish grassroots are like. Do they, do they, <laughs> is it the same, do you think? Or is it, is it completely different? I, in my head, the facilities are so it's much It's hard better. to believe it's it is. So and better. yet, at the same time, I'm I'm confident you'd be surprised and it maybe yeah, would be. Who maybe, knows? maybe. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for joining us on our very sh- first show on DAB. Ben, thank you for joining me. 